This morning we're reading from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What do Australians uh, set their hearts on? Now, I was looking at a survey that was done last month. The survey essentially asked Australians what their concerns were as they thought about the future or even present living. So you could vote for more than one option, so don't worry about the percentages not adding up to 100, okay? But uh, 62%, what do you think was top of the list? 62% said football, yeah. Yeah, after last night that would be true probably. But uh, 62% said cost of living. No surprises there, is it? 42% said housing, 31% health care, 29% the economy, and 20% crime. Now, they're really practical issues that we all face, and people in our, our society are all facing those sorts of issues. But when you turn to Colossians chapter 3, uh, we heard this echoed in the first four verses, didn't we? Uh, he's, Paul's writing to believers, and he says in verse 1, set your hearts on things above. You get to verse 2, set your minds on things above. Not this world but things above. So when I say that to you, set your, set your minds or your hearts on things above, what's spinning around in your head? I mean, what do you, what do you do? Set your mind or, in your, or your heart 
on? Is it, you know, angels or harps or clouds or eternity? You know, like, how do you actually get that in your brain? How do you get that in your heart? What, what shape does it actually take? You know me have probably heard people from time to time say, um, Christians are so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. They've got their heads so stuck in heaven that they've sort of disengaged from life in this world. And sometimes you, you've... I don't know if you've got friends like this, but I've got a friend, I'll call him Jeff, and sometimes I can be talking to Jeff, and he gets this sort of zoned-out look in his eyes, and I can tell he's just gone a, a million miles away, you know, and it's sort of... Earth to Jeff, Earth to Jeff, you know, like he's just sort of so far away. But when we're told here in Colossians chapter 3 to set our hearts and minds on things above, can I say this is intensely practical and intensely grounded? And you see that actually as you wander through Colossians chapter 3. It affects who we are as believers and it's meant to profoundly shape our, our view and our actions right now. So we're going to see how practical this is as we look at Colossians 3 together. Why don't I just uh, pray as we, we kick off. Uh, great to have that outline in front of you. If you've got a Bible or on your phone, that might be useful, although the verses will pop up behind me. Let me, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a gracious God. You're a God who speaks to us. You're a God who speaks to us about eternity uh, and Father, we ask today that you'll help us to understand how eternity intersects with the here and the now uh, so that we might live faithfully to you. And we pray this in Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to first of all say that setting our, our minds and our hearts on things above, uh, the first thing is to remember that we are in Christ. Right? Remember, we are in Christ. So I'm picking up in the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. Uh, but let me take you back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Remember, this is the hinge verse in this whole letter. And it reads like this. But listen for the in him. All right? The in him. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Now, when it says in him, it's really just saying in Christ, but it is one of the most common statements in the New Testament. And yet it's a statement we, we don't tend to use day by day or practically in our language. Uh, so if I ask you this morning, if you're a believer, I'd say, why did you come to church today? You might tell me, well, it's because you're a Christian, okay? It'd be unusual for me to ask someone why you're at church today and for you to say to me, it's because I'm in him. See, it's not the language we use, but actually it is uh, what we're talking about when we look at it in the New, the New Testament. Can I say, if you can grab hold of and understand what it means to be in him, it will transform your whole self-understanding and identity. What does it mean to be in him, in Christ. I want to give you an analogy and uh, see if that, that helps you sort of get a, a concept understanding because it is a, it's a concept thing, but it's one we need to grab hold of. I want you to imagine you're at Adelaide Airport and 
you're about to travel up to the Gold Coast. Now, to successfully arrive at the Gold Coast, you know, in search of, you know, warmer weather, what relationship do you need to have with the plane in order for that to be achieved? Right? What relationship do you need to have with the plane travelling to the Gold Coast in order to actually arrive there? Is it enough to be inspired by the plane? You know, you're at the airport, you're looking through the window and you see the plane going to the Gold Coast, go out, taxi, take off, and think to yourself, one day, that could be me, you know? It won't get you there, really, will it? You know, inspiration's not going to do it. Uh, what about um, following the plane? You know, you're sitting at the window and you watch it, it taxis out, takes off, and you take careful note of the direction the plane is heading and immediately go outside the terminal and start walking in that general direction, you know? It, it actually won't, won't achieve the goal, will it? The key is not to be inspired or to follow, but the key to getting to the Gold Coast is getting in the plane, and then what happens to the plane is going to happen to you, right? The two are tied together. Your future, the plane's future, are one. When the New Testament talks about being in Christ, it is the same sort of idea. When you're in Christ, whatever is true of Jesus is true of the one who trusts in Jesus, okay? You're, you're tied together. So see how that plays out in this passage, and then we'll see the practicalities of it. So in verse 3, we're told if we're in Christ, we've died. See, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Well, back in chapter 2, verse 20, it says, you died with Christ. Now, uh, this morning, I look around, and I think... A few of you might be having a bit of a nap, but I suspect none of you are dead, okay? Uh, but here, it actually is saying that if we are in Christ, we have died. That is, when you put your trust in Jesus, it's as if you died 2,000 years ago on the cross with Jesus. Now, in what sense? Well, in the sense that all the benefits that were achieved through Jesus' death on the cross are yours by faith in Jesus and what he's done. You know, forgiveness. Judgment falls on Jesus, not on you. Your broken relationship with God is mended. Sin no longer runs your life because Jesus is Lord of the universe and he's Lord of you. And all this is a wonderful gift of God. You have died. And it goes on. Well, if we go back to verse 1, it says, you've also been raised. Uh, you have been raised with Christ. See, when you put your trust in Jesus, then your resurrection is linked to his resurrection from the dead. He was raised from the grave, and you have been raised too. It's not saying Christ was raised and you will be raised. Understand it's saying Christ was raised and you have been raised. 
that is, your destiny is all linked to that resurrection, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you, it's a guaranteed, assured thing because of what's happened in the past and it's a present reality for you. Where in verse 4 it says, you will appear, so in our future, with him in glory, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Christ will return to one up the history of the world. And if you trust in him, then you'll share with him in that glory. You have died. You have been raised. You will reign with him in glory. Therefore, set your minds and hearts on things above. Now understand what, it, what it's saying. It's not saying you need a thousand years stare, you know, trying to imagine what heaven will be like. That's not what we're being encouraged to do. It's talking about the reality of who you are, what you are already, dominating your worldview right now. That's what's going on here. So there are two things happening. One is uh, the future is meant to shape you right now, uh, your behaviours, that is the guaranteed future. So if I said to you, I'm planning to run a marathon in 2024, okay? I've got my heart set in it, got the date planned, know which marathon it's going to be, right? You will look at me and you'll think, and probably ask this question, uh, how's your training going? I mean, you, you, obviously you're training to get ready for this marathon. And if I said to you, no, nope, no, no, I'm just going to turn up on the day. I haven't run for about 30 years, but it'll all be fine. I'll turn up on the day, run the marathon, it will all be good. You would think, more politely probably, but idiot, right? I mean, there's just a crazy way to think about going through life, isn't it? So when you set your mind on things above, the shape of eternity impacts the present and how you think about life. That's, that's the first thing. But also, when you're in Christ, it shapes your behaviour. Uh, those of you who've been parents or have got kids at home right now, you're constantly trying to shape your kids' values and your thinking. So I know when Sue and I were raising our children, one of the things we tried to hammer home was that people were always more important than things. So that if our children broke something accidentally, even if it was the most precious heirloom in the house, it was not anywhere near as important as speaking rudely to or demeaning someone in our family. That was a value that we had in our household. Or uh, the way we talked as a family in terms of the way we built each other up, that was important as well. Or if I go back to the, um, the running analogy, uh, if you're in Christ, if you see yourself a Christ, as a Christian, uh, if you see yourself as a runner, well, then you run. You know what I mean? If you, see, you say, I, I perceive I am a runner, and you ask me, oh, how often do you go running? I say, no, I don't do it. I just visualise myself as a runner. You know, I picture myself that way. If you see yourself as a runner, you run. You see yourself as a Christian, it shapes your identity and therefore your behaviour. Okay? In Christ. What I want to do is now flesh some of that out so we can think through what it means to be in Christ. 
and see how it plays out in this passage. First thing is, when you pick it up in verses 5 to 11, we're to put to death. That is, if you died with Christ, you're to put to death certain things in your life. They're they're linked. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Now, listen to this very clearly. It is not saying if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to sort out your life or God will not be pleased with you. It is not saying that. It is saying this is who you are. You are in Christ. You are part of the family of God. And this is how we roll in this family. This is who we are. And this is how we're going to roll for all eternity. Do you get the difference there? Not trying to keep God on side. You're dwelling and living in his family. You see, before you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong to the world. Or, using the language of this, you were in the world, not in Christ. That was the reality, the, the, the concept or the self-understanding that ruled your life. Which meant, if you're in the world, then you don't give a thought about sex outside of marriage or, or greed. I mean, life in this world is all about having. You have a closed world view. What you can see, taste, touch and feel, that's, that's what counts. And therefore your big concerns will be, your only concerns really, 62% cost of living or 42% housing. It, it's not saying those things aren't relevant, but you don't set your heart on them or your mind on them. They're not the things that control you. You set your mind on the things above, where Christ is seated. But it's not just desires uh, that are tied to this world. It goes on and talks about the sins of the heart or the mouth that flow from being in the world, like verse 8. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. See, why do we lie? Why do we do that? And most of us know that experience, even if we, we dress it up and talk about being a white lie, you know, a soft sort of lie. Like, think about it. Let's say, uh, what time is it? 10.38. Let's say, and I've been preaching for 10 minutes. 10.30, I'm due to get up and preach, but I haven't arrived yet, okay? Steve is starting to panic. He's, you know, searching around his pockets for his Colossians 3 sermon and uh, not, not feeling all that comfortable. I burst through the door, you know, so coming in behind me, and I say... Sorry, Steve. <laughs> really sorry. The traffic on the way down and the roadworks were just horrible. Right? So let's say all I did was sleep in. Right? And uh, that was the reason. Why would I say it was traffic or, uh, you know, roadworks or something like that? Why would I do that? Why do we lie? It's because I actually want to look better in Steve's eyes and have a better excuse than the reality. But if I'm in Christ, I don't need to lie. 
partially because it's crazy to like, because God knows exactly what's going on, uh, but also because I have standing with God, I don't need to impress him. And therefore, I definitely don't need to impress Steve. I can have integrity with him because of that. See, if you're in Christ, it deals with those things. If you're in Christ, you'll treat people differently. Verse 11. Here there's no Gentile, Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And it's talking particularly about discrimination among the people of God for whatever reason, but if you adopt the heavenly perspective, then you're adopting the eternal family of God perspective, and you know that God is calling people from every tribe, nation, tongue, uh, every economic background and status. Heaven is not dependent upon ethnicity or education or gender or wealth or looks. So this is a reality for believers. We stand equally before God because we are in Christ. Right? That's our status. That's our position. And therefore we can't possibly discriminate among ourselves, because that's the determiner. So let me talk for a few moments about what it means to put on this resurrection life. Resurrection life. You are raised, and therefore you are to live like resurrected people. Verse 12. Therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Forgive each other as the Lord forgave you. Put on love. Be thankful. They're, they're all the things that come out in this section. See, these are qualities that dominate the eternal family. We're to put certain things off, and we're to put certain things on the resurrected life. Put that on. You're already a member of the family of God. Therefore, clothe yourself with these patterns, like forgiveness. Um, if you put your trust in Jesus, you're in Christ, you've been forgiven, right? Why are you forgiven? Well, because God was incredibly gracious and merciful to you. No other reason. You're a ratbag. God forgave you. That's the way it works. Why would you forgive somebody else? Because they deserve it? No, not at all. But because God's forgiven you, therefore you forgive that's living the resurrected life. Thankfulness to God. You've been raised with Christ and therefore that's a guaranteed reality for all eternity, so live in line with it. So let me just, for a few moments, um, talk about how we set our hearts and our minds on things above. If you're in Christ, then... You are already there. That is your eternal relationship with God is guaranteed for all eternity. Do you understand it's not like a mortgage? You know how mortgages work? Uh, you buy a house, you've got a mortgage, and what you do is you pay regularly, regular monthly payments in order to continue living in the house. 
You default on those regular month, monthly payments, you'll get kicked out of the house by the bank eventually, and you won't have that house to live in. A lot of people think the Christian life is like that. You live a good life, you maintain it, and if you're consistently maintaining it, eventually you get to heaven. You know, the mortgage gets paid off and you wind up in heaven. People often think the Christian life is like that. And it's exactly the opposite. Right? No. If you're in Christ, God has gifted you your heavenly place, your relationship with him. And Jesus, your brother, is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and looking forward to when you turn up. All right? In Christ, you are there already. You are guaranteed. Therefore, what we do now is we keep reminding each other of that reality. So you look at verse 16 towards the end of the section we were reading. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This um, closed-order world, it does press in on us, doesn't it? Um, what you can see, taste, touch, feel, it is what crowds out so much of life. And yet, without God, what, what matters? Um, well, it will be interest rates. It will be housing. It will be cost of living. It is, it is all the things for the essentials of daily life. When we meet together, uh, Sunday by Sunday, small groups during the week, when you connect with other Christians, what you're constantly doing is reminding each other to set your hearts and your minds on things above, on the promises of God in Christ. That's our task. That's our job when we gather together. That's our corporate identity. That's what's most important. But then the final thing I want to say is, if you're a Christian, if you're a brother and sister in Christ, then don't be surprised that it's actually hard to keep your mind and your heart set on heaven, on the things above in this world. That is a struggle. I want to use an illustration that um, the great Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones used just to illustrate the struggle. That is, the guarantees of being in Christ, but the difficulty of making that a reality in our lives. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he, um, he used this as an analogy. On the 18th of December, 1865, Abraham Lincoln's Secretary of State, William Seward, he declared an end to the institution of slavery in the United States. At that date, uh, legally and in reality, slavery ended. But facts and feelings don't always line up. So Lloyd Jones invites people to pretend, to imagine that they were raised in slavery from their very youngest age, the only thing they'd ever, ever known, 
And then as an adult, on the 18th of December, 1865, suddenly they were free, liberated at law. And then to imagine the following day, the 19th, you're walking down one of the main streets of Atlanta and your old slave master says to you, boy, come here, from across the road. And suddenly, all those years of slavery, they just come flooding back. Do you feel like a slave again? Yes, you do. Does that feeling make you a slave? No, it doesn't. And Lord Jones says our status is in Christ. You are a child of God. Your freedom has been declared. But then the battle begins. The struggle to keep believing and operating as if you are in Christ. And just like the slave needs to say, this man no longer owns me, the Christian needs to say, sin no longer owns me. Because in Christ I have died to sin, and in Christ I have been raised to life. This is who I am. I belong to him. That's the reality. How do we set our hearts on and minds on things above? As I was preparing this week, I was reminded of a verse in one of the, the old hymns. Some of you will know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Yeah, the chorus runs like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have given us all we need. We are in Christ as who we are now and for all eternity when we put our trust in him. And Father, we pray that these uh, truths, these realities will grip our hearts and our minds shape our identities and our behaviours, not, not to impress you and win your favour, but because you've already secured us in relationship with you and you call us to live as part of this family. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to keep profoundly plumbing the depths of your grace and mercy and kindness to us and to encourage one another as we set our hearts and our minds on the things above, that is who we are in Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.